Welcome to the Goldmine Podcast. This is a show where I teach you everything I know about creating your life with purpose, health, and soul. And I believe that we do that through holistic self-expression. If you're ready to finally step into your own personal power and create the life you want, you've come to the right place. Get ready to dive into personal development through science, spirituality, leading edge health findings, and learning through ancient and modern wisdom and other people just like you, because what I hope you'll find is that it's about us all. Thank you for joining me on my journey, and I'm leaving you with an invite to stay curious. What up, everybody? I am bringing you on this episode another remarkable man by the name of Dominic Quartuccio. We cover so much ground in this episode. You really want to sort of listen to every piece because you'll miss and we'll skip and give another piece of value. And so I really want you guys to take this in and listen closely because it's not too often that you may hear from men doing the inner work. Dominic, actually, his website is doinnerwork.com that he runs with his friend Brian Stacy, who I interviewed on the podcast about a month and a half ago. Um, we get into everything. We get into the weird things that people do when they're not following their soul. We talk about anxiety. We talk about men's distrust of their emotions. We talk about sex. We talk about their event that they put on in New York Monthly called The Discerning Dick. Um, we talk about masculinity, and we also talk about being a a go-getter, being an entrepreneur, right? All these things and as how men feel as providers and it, it gets, it's a beautiful, beautiful conversation. So I would love you guys to tune into this. Um, really take what Dominic says and sit with it because I've met him. I met him at an event three months ago. We both spoke at an event and he his the embodiment that i felt from him was amazing the the sureness in his values and his story about going to sex addicts anonymous and and how that really shifted his life we we cover that a little bit in here too and for the ladies listening to this like if you have been cheated on if you are currently with someone who used to cheat on you Um, if you used to be, you know, a sex addict yourself or just very promiscuous in any nature, know that first of all, I want you to know that people can change. Like first and foremost, people can change. People do change when something happens in Dominic's case, he got his heart broken, right? You'll hear a little bit about that in this podcast. And I want you to understand not only people can change, but if you're in a place and if you're a man listening to this or a woman who's very doubting her soul and not following her soul and doing all of these weird little things, you can change. You can be embodied. You can be the person that you want to become. And it's beautiful. And and again, talking to Dominic was beautiful and seeing him in this process and him being able to reflect the last like four or five years of his process and give you guys some really tangible pieces of advice to work with. And if you're a man listening to this podcast and you're with a woman who has had sexual abuse and you're not sure how to move forward because you want to get your freak on and you don't want you want her to feel safe, right? You're in a beautiful relationship. Listen to the very, very end because we cover that really quickly for you too. And his advice was actually surprising to me um, being on the other end of it and it was beautiful and it would be amazing if a man came into a woman's life and, and, and did these things. And so... 
I know I'm all over the place. Our conversation, I wanted to touch a lot of topics and really get into his get into his experience, right? And his expertise. So yeah, I'm really excited. This is Dominic Quartuccio and you'll hear at the end, you can go visit his website, doinnerwork.com. Um, if you're in New York or want to travel to New York, they have the discerning dick. I think that's a monthly group that they put together. Oh, and they have a podcast for all the men called man amongst men. And so check it out please they're beautiful beautiful men and if you want to hear his partner i interviewed brian stacy about a month and a half ago and i think the title to that one was um penises and personal development because brian stacy had uh testicular cancer and that sent him on this this beautiful journey of, of sex and so they both kind of are talking about sexual health and how sex can relate to other parts of your life and how you can create your life around the things that you know how can you go into the guilt and the shame and the dogma of these things that maybe you were told were evil, right? Anyways, listen up. I'm going to do my own podcast all on my own just talking about it. So yes, please tag us on Instagram. We'd love, love, love feedback. And I will be talking to you guys very, very soon. All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. I am here with Dominic Cortuccio. Cortuccio. When you say his name, you must... Put your hand in an Italian. What is this called? Uh, it's just an Italian gesture because yeah. if if you don't, you're kind of you're you're not. It's not said with the kind of oomph that's required. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so I actually met Dominic at an event about four months, three four months ago, and he spoke on a men's panel at an all women's event, and there was about eighty women there, and then there was just like four men on a panel and Dominic really stood out. Um, all the men did actually, I wanted to speak with all of them. So we're finally here and I'm really excited. And Dominic, I had ideas of what I wanted to talk about at the time when we met. Hmm. And then now I just kind of want to explore what's exciting and see where it goes. Are you down for that? I'm completely resistant to all of that. Sounds terrible. No, I'm not down with that. Let's go. <laughs> um, so, I want to know, actually, I was, I was peeking at your social media and it, it's very vague, right? It says like, um, it says speaker, it says Ted talk. I think it might've said coach on there. Um, and then it, of course you host the man amongst men podcast and these other things, but maybe before we dive in, if you could dive in a little bit deeper of, of your excitement and the mission that you're here to serve. Cool. I suppose that's really useful feedback about how my social media profile is vague. So I have to probably uh, tighten that one up a little bit. Um, my, my, my mission is to help men do inner work and to answer these deeper questions about why they are here, what they want to get out of life and what they want to leave behind. And I spent, that's the, the reason why I'm so passionate about that, Shauna, is I spent 15 years in the financial services arena working for a Fortune 100 company. I ran a large sales team. I had, my team had a $1.4 billion sales goal. And you know, we were working at very stressful situations at the highest levels of industry. And I saw a lot of really amazing people who were great providers, good people, uh, exceptional at their jobs, yet also feeling like they were trapped in the lives that they created for themselves. Uh, they didn't have the kind of spark that, that maybe they did when they were in their younger years. 
they had the titles. They had a lot of praise. They had status and standing. You know, you've heard these age-old stories. But, I, you know, th- these were men who were in their 30s, 40s, and 50s starting to question how they built their lives. And what I had a chance to see in really getting in the personal lives of a lot of these men was that in order to make up for that lack of spark in their everyday life, they started doing some weird shit in their private lives, right? And, and it comes out differently for everybody. And, uh, you know, for some people, it could be workaholism. It could be gambling. It could be emotional eating. It could be excess pornography. It could be straying on your partner. And, and, it, and it comes out in all these different ways to get that, like, sense of excitement and exhilaration. And what I learned and through, and through my own personal journey, which we can unpack in any way that you see fit, is actually the most rewarding, the most exciting, the most alivening journey you could take is to go on the inner journey and start to look at some of the belief systems, some of the patterns and habits and the fears that are running our lives. And once men can start to do that, uh, we start to create environments where we can thrive, but also all of the people that matter to us in our lives can thrive as well. That's beautiful came out very eloquently. I can, I can, it's obvious that you speak. (laughs) So I have two questions, maybe I have one question and I have one comment. Would you say that, isn't it funny how, even though we hear the stories of climbing the corporate ladder and finding ourselves unhappy, some people still do it. Mm. And I'm curious with the these little weird half-lives that these people were leading, would you, can, would you say that they were like, that those parts of their lives were secret? Like they were living, leading secret lives? Okay, let me hit both of those. So the first one that you asked was really around, if we're so miserable kind of working for the man in this corporate job, why do we still do it? Is that, is that, was that the essence of your first question? Well, you had said that's the age old story of being in corporate America. And yet we still, so many people still find themselves there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I found myself there because um, I followed somewhat of a default, uh, a default path. And the default path was go to college, you know, graduate high school, go to college, go to college, get yourself a good job where you can move up in the ranks and make good money and have stability and a future and, you know, working for large companies. This, and I'm 40 years old. So these were the stories that were told to me 20 something years ago. Uh, and then give yourself options. And by the way, all that shit played out for me. That's exactly how it played out for me, right? Like I went in, I found a company. It was the only company I really ever worked for that promoted me, that developed me, that gave me opportunities to spread my wings, diverse opportunities. And, financial flexibility and to a large degree, financial freedom. You know, I, I had a, I, I made good money doing what I was doing and I saved it and it gave me many options of being able to walk away, which is what I did three years ago. Um, and so, it, you know, actually, actually the, the corporate thing works really well in many senses. It works really well. And there tends to be this like tipping point where for many people, it stops working as well. And, and most people don't recognize when that tipping point occurs, they ignore it. So for me, like when I turned 30, I had the most financially successful year of my career. I was a salesperson. I tripled my sales goal that year, made for me life-changing money. 
it bought the apartment that I'm living in in here in New York City. I mean, it was like a real significant year. And I was very young doing the job I was doing. I was 15 years younger than anyone else who was in that sales position. And, and I hit number one in the sales. Uh, I was the number one salesperson in the company that year. And so I had all of these like external goals that I wanted. I hit those things at an earlier age than I expected. And when I took inventory of how I was feeling about that, there was pride for, for how, what I'd accomplished, but this sense of like existential peace that I, I thought or joy that I thought was going to be there, it, it wasn't there. So it was like, like, you know, spending years going to the top of this mountain, getting there and then being like, oh, that's it. That's, this is the view. Yeah. I, um, I did say I did door to door sales for about two years. I moved down to Florida to help like expand the company that I was in. And it was the best time of my life. We went from like four of us to like 30 in three months. We went to the we hit number one in the nation very quickly. We didn't sustain it, but we hit it very quickly and it was beautiful. And I, as I'm hearing you talk, it's reminding me that like in uh, any type of sales position or like a, a there's a certain type of um, corporate team goals and especially sales because you get really hyped up and you make these goals and everybody gets really excited about it and it feels really awesome. And now that I'm thinking, all of my goals in those two years were all external and none of the goals were internal, like at all. It was all, I, the only internal goal was freedom. And really I was talking financially, not emotionally. Sure. So it's interesting hearing you speak and it's reflecting how every single goal I set in that space was external. And we never even talked about inner goals. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Because businesses don't exist for your inner goals, right? <laughs> businesses exist for you to hit the external goals and then you are, and then everything that comes with those, hitting those external goals, um, like reinforces that. So you, you know, you get named number one and then there's a sense of pride internally that you feel as a result of that. You make money and now you're, now you have options on the inside. There's a feeling of safety around that. So like a lot of that external stuff actually does somewhat translate internally, but, but we forget in the pursuit of these external goals, we're always doing that as a means to a, an end feeling. Mm -hmm. Like we are all, right? It's like, I want financial freedom so that internally I can feel safe finally. I can feel like I have options. I, I, I can lose that anxiety or that fear. Um, I want to feel like I've, I'm significant. I want to feel like I'm influential. And so they like, you know, people say, okay, well, how do I do that? Well, then I got to go out and, you know, be number one, or I got to lead this organization, even though I hate leading people, you know? So we, we forget that these things that we're going for externally are, are always to produce an internal feeling. And I don't want to take this too far, Sean. Like so many, there are too many people who go the other way and say, external goals are bullshit. And I'm like, no, 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 like external goals and internal goals, the, the, there's a symbiosis between, there's a yin and a yang, like you need them both. They just have to be balanced in a way that works for you. Yeah. I was actually just having this conversation with Adam this morning um, that everything, I just went to uh, the same conference. I just ended actually Boldly Blythe. Oh, yeah, and yeah. I had some re-downloads reminding me of things and I was speaking to him about everything Everything is, it's, it's all based on synergy. Like it's all Adam? based. What's that? Who's Adam? 
I'm sorry, my partner. Okay, got it. Um, it's all based on just synergy. It's this middle way that it's not all emotions and it's not all physical. It's not all money and it's not all like no money. You know what I mean? It's 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 all the synergistic dance. Balance is a funny word. That the terminology is clumsy, but I completely agree with you. Kiara, yeah. oh go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no. I was gonna say so. Kiara, who runs Boldly Live, she and I had a really cool conversation months ago where. You know, so, so Kiara is like a really hard charging, make shit happen, get, get, make money. So there's like a real tangible external thing there. She's also like very dialed in internally as well. And, but she, and she's very like spiritual, right? And, and we talked about how there's, there's, there's some people who have gone way too far to the spiritual side where they use this spiritual language and spiritual cloaking as another shield for not getting their shit done. You know, it's kind of like a, ah. Uh, this doesn't feel right for me or I'm going to sit with this. It's not a line. I'm going to sit with this for 72 hours and then decide if I want to write this blog post. It's like, come on. Yeah. Right. Like, so there's, there's that end of the spectrum. And then the other end of the spectrum, which is where I spent 15 years where people are just crushing, grinding, crushing, grinding, and then grinding themselves into a ground too. So that is something I, I want to make sure that we touch but I, I'd like to do it later because um, I want to, let's remember that I want to speak about um, men and having a challenge with rest, especially when it comes like they want to get shit done, get shit done. And at a certain point, they're getting so much done that they're actually getting nothing done. And so, um, and I would really like to talk about this weird stuff that people get into to counterbalance the life that their soul doesn't enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, where do you want to dig in on that, Shauna? Um, let me think. So, do you notice when you're finding things, these things out, like, are they secrets? Do the people feel guilty about them? What do you see that they're trying to fill? Okay. Maybe, maybe I'll start with my own story because I think it could be quite illuminating and then I can broaden it, right? Um, so... What's, what's the, where's the best place for me to start? Okay. Um, my lowest point was in 2013 when I entered Sex Addicts Anonymous for a period of four years, 2013 to 2017. Um, it was horrifying, humiliating, walking into a 12-step meeting, especially because I considered myself to be someone who had all of my shit together. I held myself out like that. People depended on me like that. I was a leader at work. I was captains of teams all throughout growing up. I Number was one in the nation, right? Did and you as a salesperson, that? yeah. And then like I, um, and I, and I liked that. I liked people depending on me. I liked to be a rock for people emotionally who you know who had who had trouble and difficulty. I liked people turning to me, and yet behind the scenes, I I had this really fucked up part of my life that I actually had convinced myself what wasn't that bad until I broke the heart of the only woman that I'd ever fallen in love with in 35 years on this planet. And she had discovered on our very first vacation together, we were in, it was December 28th, 2012. We were in the Boulder, Colorado. We checked into our hotel. I go to the bathroom. I come out. She's holding my phone. Yeah. And she saw a heartbreaking string of text messages um, threw the phone at me, left the room. And the short of the story is, uh, 
uh, I was, I was so frightened to lose that relationship that I said, I think I have a problem. I'm going to go see a therapist. When we get back from this trip, I'm going to Sex Addicts Anonymous. There had been questions in my mind um, up in that point, but I never really like considered myself to be an addict because that would be out of control. And I'm not out of control. Look at me. I'm a high performer. Uh, but to save this relationship, I decided to go and, and, and do that work. And it was interesting because for the first three months of doing that work, going to meetings every Sunday morning, group therapy and therapy, I did it just to save the relationship. But after 90 days of that, I actually woke up and said, holy cow, like, I need to be here because I'm pretty fucked up. I had no clue. And the way that I got there, Sean, and this is like a really kind of a, a roundabout way of getting to your question was when I was, a, when I was a little kid, when I was like eight years old, and I had this moment that changed my life forever where I stumbled across a Playboy magazine in my parents' basement by myself, centerfold falls out, and this like electricity ran through my body. <laughs> Never felt like that before. And it, it was, it, it was life-changing, right? It was the first time I'd seen a naked woman. And I also knew in that moment that what I was doing was wrong. Because in my household, you know, sex was uncomfortable. It was undiscussed. I love my parents. My parents are amazing people. I'm still super close with them. But like they were the kind where if we were watching a movie and there was like a nude scene on television or like, you know, a woman's kissing another man, they would lunge across the couch and they'd be like, no, and try to cover my eyes. And then there would be this like really like horrible tension in the room for the next 10 minutes. So at a very early age, I learned that sex, naked women was bad. I was Catholic schoolboy, seven years of Catholic schooling. You're going to hell for these kinds of things. When I discovered masturbation um, in, my, in my school, kids were talking about masturbation as you're a pervert or a weirdo if you masturbate. So like all of these feelings, these natural feelings around sex, at a very early age, I was told are wrong, punishable, sinful, going to hell, and you'd be ostracized from your school. So I kept that part of me private and that part of me that was private, I loved it. It was titillating. Right? It feels good. Like, and then this thing happens and it feels really good and you're like, what the hell? What the hell? Right, right. For me. And so I thought I was weird, but it like, for me, like self-stimulation felt like I'd imagine what heroin feels like. You know what I mean? It was just yeah. like, and I had, I had an endless supply of it. It was free and I could use it anytime to to navigate the stresses, my overwhelm, my emotions, switching schools and being an out, like not, not, not someone who was like as cool in the new school as I was in the old school and feeling like I didn't fit in. So I used sex or my, my own private moments to numb myself. And that became a 20 year emotional strategy for me. So as a man, I'm not allowed to show my emotions. And the only way that I knew how to deal with it was to go into this private place where I had guilt and shame, but I could take, take all of that emotion and like calm it. And I developed, I mean, think how many repetitions over a two decade period of time. So that when I was in a relationship with someone who I actually loved, the closer she got to me, the more scared I got about her seeing the real me because I had a, a, a public Dominic and a private Dominic. She penetrated that, she caught me and, and my world came tumbling down. And I had the gift, she gave me the gift of discovering me so that I could be reborn and be humbled and to do the work, to, to, to look at some of these behaviors and the way I'd structure my life. There are, too, there are too many men out there 
who don't have the gift of a catastrophe in their life. And they're, they're just, they're, they're actually rationing out their torment over a long period of time because the emotional eating or the gambling or the pornography or the, you know, that kind of stuff, that weird stuff they're doing to, to navigate some of the stresses of their lives. What? So a lot of people like yourself, they've, they've come and they've hit this rock bottom, right? We'll consider that moment in your life, a rock bottom in your relationships. And, and like, for me, it was a rock bottom in my health. And then these rock bottoms will reflect where we can grow if we allow to see them as such. And where, because I don't believe anymore, there's this, there's this collective belief that we must hit rock bottom before we rise and it needs to get really hard before it gets easier. And how can we show people who haven't hit that yet that, hey, if you keep going in this direction, you will. And things are either going to change or, or death will happen. That's, that's the million dollar question, Sean. Like that's the business I'm in. You know, I, so I work the, 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 at the essence of my, of the work that I do is teaching people how to change, mm-hmm. right? Like teaching people how to change and teaching people how to change without that catastrophe. Now, like catastrophes, rock bottoms are, are wonderful springboards for many people. There are other people who hit a rock bottom and they actually skip right past it, you know, and they don't, they don't do any introspection. They just kind of clean themselves up and then go on their merry way doing the same shit. Um, but what we're talking about here is like, how do you start to create of your, a life of your own design without having to wait for it to get so fucking bad? Or for, to wait for your back is up against the wall and you can't take it anymore. And honestly, the only answer that I've found so far through all of my work, through all of my reading, through all of my, uh, my own personal practice is you have to make the commitment to retrain yourself to, to actually setting intentions for what you want and making lots of small actions towards that versus waiting for some negative, negative stimulus for, to, to kick you into motion. And, and it's, a very, it's a very different kind of energy that you have to train yourself for. It's like, it's like taking all the sugar out of your diet and then retraining your taste buds to, to like, like natural flavors again. At first, it's going to be bland. It's going to be boring. You're going to find like a dip in your energy. But then over time, once you've cleansed that toxin, and when I say toxin, it's usually like anxiety and fear. Um, one of the things that I just wrote down recently, I, I find that anxiety is to productivity for most people. Like anxiety fuels a lot of people's productivity. Anxiety is to productivity as opiates are to pain. Mm. And I want to unpack that for a second because like opiates are, are an epidemic right? Especially across our country. And the reason why people use opiates is because it absolutely solves the short-term problem of pain. You mm. can disappear and whatever. Over the long-term, you can kill yourself, right? Long-term, you can numb yourself. So short-term, great. Long-term, traumatic. And anxiety, people use, especially high performers, as their, as their fuel source. 
people honestly don't know how to get up out of bed or don't know how to really like motivate unless there's a deadline or there's a consequence or there's a fear of not making enough money or a fear of not keeping up with someone else. And so you become addicted to anxiety. And, and that works until it doesn't. It works until you have a panic attack. It works until you have a heart attack. It works until the fun has been stripped out of your life. And I see this all the time. That, that, those are the, these are the clients who come to me. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you want to actually avoid that, then, then you have to make this mindset shift to say, instead of that shit, I'm going to say this is what I actually do want. And, and make a lot of small incremental moves towards that thing that you do want, recognizing the payoff may not be instantaneous and, and you may need to go through like that detox of getting off of the anxiety so that you can create a new set of behaviors around how you set North Stars and go after it. Do you listen to Bruce Lipton at all? I don't. So how about Joe Dispenza? The- I've read Joe Dispenza's uh, Breaking the Habit. Okay. Um, Bruce Lipton, I don't know his official title. He's title. He's a doctor of some sort. Um, but he speaks about our how our cells, <clears throat> how can I explain it simply? So he speaks about how when we experience an emotion, the emotion is actually a thing. It releases a protein, right? The emotion turns into a physical protein. And those protein feeds our cells. And on each of our thousands, millions of cells, we have this abundance of receptor sites for each protein of emotion, right? So let's say we have like a happy receptor site, a sad one, anxious, depressed, um, joy. And if we become uh, in, in a constant state of anxiety, for example, our emotion is anxiety a lot. So it's releasing way more proteins of anxiety which how the cell does, what the cell does to adapt is it, it gets rid of the, re- the receptor sites for like love or joy huh. um, or depression, right? And then what happens when we decide, so then we create more for anxiety. And then what happens when we decide we want to experience less anxiety is when we consciously choose to do that. This is breaking the habit, right? When we cons- consciously choose to um, feel more joy, our literal body, the cells in our body think that they're going to die because they're not getting that food of the protein of the anxiety. And so it's like that little, that little, I've gotten off of sugar, right? I've, I've beat sugar addiction. and I was a fucking maniac. I'm super nice. And I, I was just like raging and it lasted for just, I knew that it was coming so I could approach it that way. And I think people just assume that they can shift really quickly and they don't really know what, what the, there is actually a timeline. And I believe wholeheartedly that when we come to trust that it takes time, it actually will happen quicker for us. Right. Mm. And there was one other thing. What did I want to say? I was talking about anxiety. I was talking about sugar addiction. What were you just talking about? Well, while, while you're thinking about it, I just want to, I want to hit on something that you just mentioned about yeah. people's expectations of how quickly yes. things are supposed to happen. I mean, like we're, we're conditioned to taking a, an opiate and feeling the, 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 the benefit right away. We're conditioned to eating sugar and then feeling that benefit right away. 
caffeine, boom, you know, you keep, like I can name over and over and over again. You want to watch a television show, Netflix, bang, and whatever, you know, it's like bang, yeah. bang, 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 bang. And the kind of change that we're talking about doesn't work like that. It, it just simply does not work like that. And, and it takes time and it takes a commitment. And one of the best, one of the best um, stories I have for this on, on how to actually start to create some payoffs in the short term as you're making this long-term change is a story I, I read about Jerry Seinfeld and how he became an amazing comedian where he said, like, I'm, gonna, I'm going to be an amazing comedian. I suck right now. Like this would be before he became Jerry Seinfeld. He's like, I suck right now, but I'm going to be an amazing comedian. And I know that it's going to take time. So what I'm going to do is create a scorecard. And he's like, every day I'm going to practice, I don't know, 10 to 30 minutes of, of, of comedy, whether that's like writing it or going out and doing a performance. And then every day that he did that, he would put an X on the calendar that, that showed visibly that he had done that thing. And then after three days, he was like, oh, I have a chain of X's. I don't want to break the chain. And then like as he had more X's, it became like a daily thing. And, and the payoff for him became the, did I show up for myself today? And the payoff happened in the short term, long before he became really good at comedy, because that takes whatever, the 10,000 hours, whatever you want to like, talk about with that. And, and it did, but, but he figured out how to rig the system so he could feel a win today, a dopamine hit today, a sense of pride today, stack those up over a long period of time. We know how the story ended up for him. Yeah, I love him. I, I've been, I did not like him as a young girl. I thought his humor was dry. And now that I'm an adult, I was like, this guy's good. <laughs> yeah, he's, got, he's a witty motherfucker. Yeah, he is. Uh, so the, the last thing, we were talking about how, not, how to, to show people that they don't have to hit rock bottom or how to be like, hey, if you keep going in this direction, your life's going to get all screwed up. And what came through, and I'm just going to assume you'll agree with me, is when we can look at our lives based off of desire rather than based off of fear. And then the desire is going to be like, oh, well, if I desire this life, well, am I there yet? Well, no, I'm not. So let's move towards that. Rather than I fear this life, look at all the evidence that proves that I'm headed towards this life that I hate. Do you agree? It's funny you bring that up because I'm on, um, so I'm doing 90 days of Napoleon Hill. If you're not familiar with Napoleon Hill, he's written Think and Grow Rich, which is the best-selling personal development book of all time. It was actually the very first book on personal achievement ever written. And it was written in the, um, at the end of the Great Depression era. And he, he interviewed over a 25-year period, he interviewed 25,000 people to learn like the, the mastery of personal achievement. And he, he interviewed Henry Ford, Thomas Edison, the Roosevelts, the Rockefellers, Charles Schwab. I mean, just like JP Morgan, on and on and on and on. He mined their secrets, wrote that book. And the very first step that he talks about in the book, and when I say I'm doing 90 days of Napoleon, I'm listening to his works at at, at night, 15 minutes before I go to bed. And the first like 15, 20 minutes when I wake up every single day for 90 days, I'm on day like 14 right now. In Think and Grow Rich, the first step, the very first step in, in, in starting to accumulate what you want is desire. A bur like to, to develop a burning desire for that thing in which you want. And then you need to back that up with faith, faith that it can happen, uh, having a plan and then a persistent ex execution of that plan. But it's really funny that you bring up desire because this morning after I listened and I was meditating on desire, I, 
what came to me is how many people come to me with a, with a desire, right? As a coach, people come to me with desires that they're not getting. And, and, and they're convinced that they desire this thing um, more than anything else. And they don't, they're just like, I just know how to, I don't know how to get it. And actually, the, the awareness I had this morning was, if you have a desire that is not manifesting, that is not creating, then actually you desire something more than this thing you say you desire. But it's oh, in your like blind spot. This or something better type of... No, it's actually not that. It's, it's not oh. that at all. It's like if, if, you're, if you're stuck in status quo and there's this thing that you desire, let's just say, um, okay, like say, say you desire to make a million dollars. It's like, I've been desiring to make a million dollars or I'm desiring to have financial freedom and I've had that desire for a long period of time, but I, it, like, I've made no progress towards it then you actually desire something more than that. And what I would say is you probably desire comfort, security, um, your habits, doing things the way that you've always done them. Um, you desire to, to stay, to fit in with like your current socioeconomic crowd, right? You desire to keep your business and your clients the way that, it, you know what I mean? Like you desire those things which are most likely hidden in your blind spots that, have a stronger gravitational pull on you than this desire of building this thing you say you want. And until that equation flips, then you're going to get the thing that you desire the most. Wow. Yeah. And it's, it, as you're talking about it, it's, um, it is the inner work, right? That the million dollars is this outside thing, which is reflecting this inner, this inner feeling. I'd like to, I'd like to shift the conversation a little bit because I have you here and I, I don't interview many men. I'd like to speak into men. Okay. I'm assuming you'd be fully open I'm to down. that. Yeah, I'm game. Um, so when it comes to all of this desire, inner work, um, you know, avoiding rock bottom, there's... <clears throat> Man, there are so many questions to, to, to word it into a single question. When do you find that men become curious or ready to trust a little bit in their, their emotional experience and to do some inner work? That's interesting. Um. I think, I think when they start to trust their emotional experience actually comes much later than them starting the inner work. I think what actually leads them to the inner work is like a distrust of their emotional experience uh, in the sense of, okay, well, like I, I, I thought all of these things that I'm doing were going to make me happy. I have all of these things. I'm not happy. And it's like, what bag of goods did I buy? And what, what, you know what I mean? Like what, what was sold to me? And, and, and it's like, the, like a man starts to question a lot of how he's been living his life. And he's like, whoa, I'm not so certain anymore. That's actually, that's actually one of the, the places I love to find men is when their, their, their shield of certainty is cracked. So it's like, oh, I'm certain that 
that living my, um, that the working 12 hours a day is going to get me what I want, that making this kind of money is going to get me what I want, that when I'm married and I have kids, that that's going to get me what I want, or when I had a second home. And then like, they're certain, they're certain, they're certain, they're certain. And then all of a sudden when there's like that chink in the armor and they're like, I, I actually have been doing it wrong this entire time. And I don't know exactly where I went wrong, but I'm now willing to wave the white flag a little bit. So it's actually kind of like starting to distrust yeah. <laughs> the way that they've been going. And then they get curious and they start asking me questions or they start, typically most guys, the way that they will dabble in this is like, they'll just start to do research on their own. You know, they'll like read a book, read a blog, listen to some podcasts, and then they'll, they'll, they'll figure it out intellectually. And they think that because they understand something intellectually that they're like, oh, I get it. I got it. Yeah. Okay. Like, oh, I need to. I need to work on my inner goals. Cool. I, I got it. I got now, it. Yeah. Oh, I watched a Tony Robbins documentary. I get it. You know? And, and so then they like, they, they kind of proceed as planned. And then there's usually another bottoming out somewhere along the way or a, a rough patch. And hopefully at that point, they'll, they'll take a step out of their own isolation and then do some work with guides or retreats or people like me that can, can guide them through this stuff with other, with other men. And then further down the road, do they start to actually open up to that? What am I feeling emotionally? Can I even, can I feel that feeling? Can I name that feeling? Can I allow that feeling? And can I express that feeling? Those are all like stages of the process that a lot of men don't ever get to. So I'd like to speak to men or men or the the women who know men listening to this podcast and, and ease, like maybe not ease up a little bit, but, but pan out because some people who may be listening to this may be fairly new, right? They're just starting to get curious. And I think something that might pique their interest is sex and how sex reflects just fucking everything in not only single lives and being in a relationship, but just the reflection that it has on on men and on just uh, just the reflection could you speak into that a little bit sure uh so sex is obviously a big part of my life as i uh i, I never thought i'd be speaking openly about it but after entering sex addicts anonymous in 2013 spending four years there changing my life speaking openly about it um i actually last year i i, I started a, a live event series in new york city called the discerning dick sexual wisdom for the modern man and it's a forum for men and women to come together, but it's a conversation directed at men to explore some of the forces that have shaped your sexuality. You're, you're, you know, like, in, and I, I shared a story with you about growing up, feeling like seeing the Playboy, discovering masturbation, loving it. But then, you know, my faith, my family and my friends all like kind of gave me a very clear message to hide that. And I talk about those three forces, the faith, family and friends have a profound effect on your sexual well-being and your behaviors and belief systems that you carry with you for the rest of your life. And, and, and so what I found is most men never have a forum to discuss their, their sexual drives and their sexual desires. Too many men are using sex to, to, to alleviate their emotions, kind of like how I was. Um, too many men are running towards porn because it's an easy quick fix, just kind of like how an opiate's a quick fix or a downer or a beer is a quick fix. And most guys like have no idea um, what real connection is, 
when it comes to themselves and, and another partner, uh, sexually speaking. And so if, 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 if anyone is actually for their first time listening and, and really like kind of nudging towards this arena of sex, please come to, to my website, which is doinnerwork.com, doinnerwork.com. And we have a number of podcasts about pornography and how to take 10 days off of masturbation. I go through my whole story around uh, sex addiction. And for men who don't have those kinds of extreme issues or challenges, can learn quite a bit about asking some deeper questions about how you ended up with the desires that you have right now and the sexual patterns that you have. And one last thing I'll say, Shauna, before I take a, a breath, Think and Grow Rich, the Napoleon Hill book, has an entire chapter, which you can download online. If you go to chapter 11 of Think and Grow Rich, um, Napoleon Hill talks about sex transmutation, basically like transforming the sex energy. And what he says in his 25,000 interviews is that the world's greatest leaders are highly sexed. Like the, like the world's greatest leaders have tremendous sexual energy because sexual energy is magnetism. And he has this part of the book where he says, most men don't become successful before the age of 40 because too many men under the age of 40 spew their sexual energy out into the world in indiscriminate ways, right? Whether it's into indiscriminate women or indiscriminate tissues or socks in your bedroom. And that energy, which you could be using for creation, for, mm -hmm. for power, for better workouts. Like, and I've done all of this. Actually, one of the things that I did when I was in Sex Addicts Anonymous for four years, this is going to sound really extreme, but for four years, I didn't watch porn and I didn't masturbate for four years. All of that energy that I'd been let releasing for years of my life now had to be channeled into something else. And actually, that was the precise time that I got the courage and this bold idea to leave behind a corner office in Times Square to start my own company and to build that from scratch and to leave behind a very lucrative career. Why? Because all this energy I'd been channeling, uh, well, actually, I've been, I've been, I've been dis disseminating in indiscriminate ways, I channeled into something that, of creation. And, and, and most guys have no clue that that's even out there for them. So that was a lot more than you asked for. No, I love it. That... <clears throat> woman or man, one of the biggest breakthroughs I had around the reproductive organs, right? There's a lot of trauma there. Women have a lot of trauma of, you know, uh, let's just rape or abuse. And men sort of have the trauma because the women are, are angry at them about the rape and abuse. And so they're unsure of how, how, how they can move. And being in my history, I was learning about that. And the moment that I realized, well, I had already subscribed to the belief that everything, it takes on an energetic frequency. And the moment that I realized that my reproductive and yours and everybody's reproductive organs is the energy of creation, it's like, holy shit, if I'm still identifying with this trauma that I had, I'm identifying with my lack of creativity and that, does, that doesn't work for me if I wanna step into personal power. And it's funny that you mentioned the corner office thing because I was gonna ask, I hear these cr the crazy, craziest shit going to these conferences and being working with these women about when they open themselves up to receive um, in the bedroom and, and not put on their defenses, their whole life opens up. Oh, yeah. I, I had a friend that just 
and my numbers may be slightly off, but she did this, this exercise in the bedroom with her um, partner. And like the next week, I think she made like $30,000. It just like opened the and that stuff happens all the time with sex. Yeah. And um, I would, because I also think that not everybody is a sex addict, right? Not everybody um, masturbates too much. And with the re, with the, with the um, sexual energy, push down and and the guilt that and the shame that's around it how do you see that it manifests in other like anxiety which do, would seem that it has nothing to do with sexual um desire or sexual confidence but to me i could think that it is very very overlapped i mean so in my, in my personal experience um my anxiety or like whatever internal chaos right like yes. internal um it needed in like, because I didn't know how to harness it for most of my life. I didn't know, I didn't have meditation. I didn't have breathing exercises. I didn't have guys I could talk to about this stuff. It was just kind of like, it was like, you know, a million pinballs bouncing around inside of me and, and I couldn't get anything done. I couldn't do anything. I was, so I, so the way I could, I could, I could release that was just like to, to channel it into this very, you know, this very concentrated area in my groin and then just let it out. And it was an instant state shift. Right. And, uh, and I, I think a lot of men, regardless of whether or not they've had like an issue of compulsivity or, or not, can really relate to that. Like the, like the instantaneous state shift. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. What do you think? So what I've noticed in men that I've had the honor to get intimate with, whether or not sexually, um, is that they they fear their creative power right on some level there's a fear there or uh they they don't know that they have it like women are like coming out into the world right now and they're creating these things and they're stepping into their power and i, I see some men feeling like belittled by it and i'm curious what is the fear that men have and facing their power well are you are you saying that you're feeling that men are, are are feeling afraid because they're seeing their partner these like you know powerful women rise up and and step into their power and men are are, are feeling less than as a result of it yes well I, th I think that one is specific to how many men are raised which is to to still to still be the provider to be the number one to be the leader to be the guy and what makes a man is his ability to, to lead, to guide, to financially provide. And when he's not that, then it's actually a direct hit on his, what he believes his masculinity or his manhood to be. And in my TED talk, my TEDx talk that um, I quote Esther Perel, who, who had this brilliant insight. And she said, masculinity is not this thing that men are just given at birth. Like femininity kind of is, is what she says. You know, she's like femininity, like everyone has the defined feminine. They have to find it, whatever. But it's like, it's yours to keep. Masculinity is something you have to go out and earn mm -hmm. and then constantly maintain it over the course of life's actions. And it works a lot like how trust works. Like every day you have to prove yourself, prove yourself, prove yourself, prove yourself. And then if you do something to break trust, 
Like you can lose it in an instant. Men can lose their masculinity in an instant. And you see this all the time, like be a man, step up, mm-hmm. um, don't be a pussy. Mm-hmm. And how many guys like, I mean, it's, it's just such a, it's, it's a natural way of us living and we try to avoid getting those things. And so if you're a guy who has a really successful partner and then you go out drinking with your buddies, those guys are going to bust your balls because they're going to say, oh, she, she's the one who, who, who directs you around. You're the one who wears the skirt. Even if like they're well-intentioned guys, like you're, like you're going to get your balls busted for that. That still happens today. There are, there are very few groups of men who would embrace their brother and say, wow, she's amazing and, and you're lucky to have her. My groups of men do that. But it, you know how hard I had to search for, for that? So that's what guys are actually responding to is this fear of being emasculated because somehow their, their partner has risen up above them because we're still clinging to this antiquated way of what like viewing what a man is supposed to be and the dynamics between a man and his partner his his feminine partner the conversation i was having before we were talking about men and all of that like feeling powerful because you know 50 years ago men were the financial full financial provider and also it was normal for them to beat their wives And so I think what might be happening, and I'd love to get your take on it, is that I still feel that men have an innate desire to support and women have an innate desire to be supported. And now we have women um, making the same or more amount of money, stepping in, making their creations. And I wonder now if the shift is that men get to learn how to support women by holding space for their, the woman's experience, right? So they're yeah. supporting them in not a financial state. Yeah. 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 So, so what you're making me think of is Alison Armstrong, who's a f- fantastic writer and she teaches a lot about relationship dynamics. And I read her book, The Queen's Code. And it's basically a book about like, here's the language and the way of being that you can use to pull out the king in your man, right? And the number one word that she teaches, the first word, there's five different words, is men are providers. Men love to provide. This is what you were talking about, right? Support. And, and historically speaking, the way that we've pigeonholed provide, or we've, we've kind of just whittled it down to providing financially. Mm-hmm. And, and what you're saying, which, I, which I, I wholeheartedly agree with, is providing can come in a million different shapes and forms. And in this new arena where um, when I say new arena, it's, it's, it's not new, but like for too many people, it is new. This new arena where more and more women are stepping up into their power, becoming entrepreneurs or becoming the breadwinners of family, that a man can very much provide emotional support, structural support, guidance and leadership also. It doesn't need to be, they don't need to be the breadwinner, but that stuff is not necessarily applauded socially, social yet. And that, that needs to shift. But I've seen the dramatic power of that. Like when a woman who doesn't have to mute her success because it may make her partner feel bad, when she has a partner who actually like is fully behind her, then she amplifies. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't take much. It's just like a little drop and then boom, she amplifies. So I, and then I, I said- he does, right? By proxy. <sighs> 
He, he, he should. I, I don't know if we're like, there are, there are a select few relationships where I see that there are men in my life, men in my men's groups where that happens. Um, but there are still a lot of men who are even, who are trying to support in that way and, and working their best, but still also feel a sense of not enoughness as a result of it because of decades of conditioning. Mm-hmm. So we still, we're, we're still working on that. Okay. And I'm assuming that's a lot of the work that you do. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a part of it for sure. Yeah. Um, so I actually didn't get to the conversation. So for, <clears throat> you have until three thirty, right? Yes. And that I have to, be- and it's a hard stop at three thirty. So okay. if like okay. a couple minutes before would be great. Sure. Um, Right now I can think of two questions. One is a little bit deeper, but this is just sort of a, for, for a novice, right? For a guy who's just, and this, this question is from a man. He, he said, ask him like for the guy who's just starting to realize like that he is culturally installed with beliefs, right? And he's just starting to realize that it doesn't have to be this way. Um, what would be a great first step if he doesn't have the community, he doesn't have, he feels that he doesn't have the resources, right? What would be his first step? Awesome. Um, I'm going to throw some books at you and you can always go to my website. Again, I have like all these book lists at doinnerwork.com forward slash books. And Sean, I'll send this to you so you can put it in the show notes, but doinnerwork.com forward slash books. And I have a book list that's, it's 12 books that every man should read. Um, and you don't need to read all 12 of those at once. Like you can pick a handful. And I'll, I'll tell you that, that there's two on there that like, there were the first two books I read 10 years ago that changed my life uh, in that regard. One of them was called The Way of the Superior Man by David Dada. And that book is really about passion, purpose, sexual mastery. So it kind of hits like a lot of different parts of the spectrum. And then also what it means to be a man. It, that shook up my shit. Um, the other book I read back then was called the, the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. That's much more of a like lifestyle design book and how to take command of your time. I, I actually, I, I might actually have you skip that one and go to this other book that is the number one most influential book of my life, which is called outwitting the devil by Napoleon Hill outwitting the devil by Napoleon Hill. Again, you've heard me mention Napoleon Hill a few times, but that book is really a distillation of these 25,000 stories, 25,000 people who he interviewed at the end of their lives who felt like they left chips on the table, like they had a life of regret. And how did they end up there? So the whole book is about how we allow fear to run our lives, anxiety, um, how we just drift through life without, without really like inspecting our belief systems. And whoever asked this question, if, if you are now just starting to come to the awareness that, holy shit, what I believed up to this point may not be valid anymore, that book, Outwitting the Devil, is like a fucking sledgehammer, like a wake-up call for you to go, oh shit, that's where I've been stuck, that's where I went wrong, and it'll give you some new frameworks for, 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 for how to change that. I love that. There's a lot of, there's a lot of female writers in the arena and uh, it's nice to hear about the, the male authors. Cause actually a lot of the, not that there's not a lot of male authors, but I notice a lot of the male authors that people speak about are like the OGs from, from the game. Like the, the, they started the personal development sort of movement. Yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah. Check that out. That, that'll be in the show notes. And then one shorter question before the deeper one. But can we talk about rest and like, 
again, I was having this conversation with my partner, Adam, and he is, he's a go, 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 go. He owns a small interior painting company. Um, he's always on the, he's got the never ending checklist thing happening. And I, I had left for this conference and I, he's going through a, um, detox for hypothyroid, right? Okay. And it's this intense detox from our naturopathic doctor. And there's a priority of rest for him and his body. And he texts me and he's like, what actually is rest? And he listed out all of these things that rest could be. And then when I came home yesterday, he's like, I, I actually had to Google it because I didn't know. And I'm like, wow, I, th I think there's actually a problem here. And so I didn't know if you had anything to say to that. Oh, hell, hell yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge, huge proponent of rest and recovery. And um, it's, it's actually start in the world of professional athletes. Like I know I go to see two different massage therapists and body workers, uh, one of whom is the head massage therapist for the Brooklyn Nets and another one who does a lot of work with the U.S. Open tennis athletes. And what they've both told me is that the, the most elite athletes um, have pretty much figured out how to train, right? Like they, they've kind of figured out the science behind training and like performance and, and, and endurance and muscles and that kind of stuff where they're turning their attention is on recovery, recovery, like, like conscious recovery strategies, rest and recovery strategies so that people can do this longer at a higher level. That's why you're seeing guys like Tom Brady, who's, uh, 41 fucking years old and he's winning six, six Super Bowls. Like the guy is just because he's figured out recovery. Um, oh, there was something awesome I wanted to share about recovery. Shit. I'm sure it'll come to me. But when I hear stories about like your partner and he's like a lot of men that I come across, it's, it's again like this conditioning of, of being constantly in motion it's this anxiousness that keeps us in motion. It's usually over the course of time, an unconscious avoidance strategy, because there's probably some deeper questions that are in there that uh, doesn't know how to answer. And, and like, if you slow down to have to face that, and he, he, on most men's conscious level, they, they, they'll shake their head and tell me that what I'm telling them, what I'm telling you right now, they're like, they'll, they'll resist it until they actually stop and they experience it. Mm -hmm but most guys are avoiding something. They don't know what it is. It's chances are they're not playing their life the way that they want to, or as big as they want to. There's something that they've subordinated or, or, or suppressed. And their only way of being able to avoid that and not deal with that nagging thing is to constantly stay in busyness and in motion. So recovery. Oh, here's the thing I wanted to share with you. The number one indicator of an elite athlete is how quickly you can recover. So, so oh. like the, the, this is like the number one indication of, of recovery. Uh, the uh, number one indication of your uh, elite athlete status is how quickly you can recover. And that's why someone who's in like their 20s tends to perform at a, a more elite level because they can recover from being banged up versus someone in their 30s or their 40s. And if you're playing the long game as a, as a worker, right? Like as an entrepreneur, um, your career is going to be 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And if you're not building in conscious recovery strategies, you will break down. You'll have a thyroid issue. You'll have a heart attack, a panic attack. And most guys don't even, most men or women actually don't, don't even recognize it for what it is, which is a sign that something's not functioning accordingly and that you need to take care of yourself. 
So we'll take medicine. We'll take like the, the, the one or two weeks off and then we'll go back to doing this, the same shit that we always have. And then you'll break down at some other point. You'll see it as an inconvenience or a nuisance and you'll just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. The way that recovery works for me, and I'm, I'm like a, a like I, I'm a recovery evangelist, is I know when it's working for me when I'm, I'm very conscious around knowing what my recovery strategies are, like knowing what fills up my tank, like sleeping, um, getting massage therapy, saunas, um, reading a good fulfilling book, one episode of Netflix. Once it tips over into two, now I'm escaping and numbing, but like one episode of Netflix, you know, taking solitude time. Like these are the things that I know conscious, like will fill my tank. And when I come back from that, I am so ready to tackle what's in front of me. I don't need anxiety. I'm like, I'm energized. And therefore the, like the feeling inside of me is a, a determination, a centeredness and a focus, not this chaotic frazzled, you know, like, like wound so tightly, like, like many other guys go walk through life. So true. And I think a lot of men are very good at not showing like, oh, you don't look anxious. <laughs> you look fine. Uh, perfect. And so would you send, I'm assuming you would send them in that direction of the first step of the gaining awareness, the books and that. Yeah. Let me think if there's a great book on recovery. Uh, you know, there's a book called um, The Only Way to Win by Jim. I think it's Jim Lair. And he, he, he founded the Human Performance Institute down in Florida, which was responsible for working with like a lot of the number one tennis athletes in the world. And they work with a lot, they, they, they consult with a lot of the special forces in the military, Navy SEALs and Army Rangers. And, and I've gone down there and I've gotten trained in their protocol. I've taught their programs. And they talk a lot about conscious recovery strategies because they're like, you know, if you ignore it now, you're going to pay for it down the road. And how to, how to fill it. So that book, The Only Way to Win, talks about the four different dimensions of energy and has an emphasis on prioritizing your recovery and how that could look. So I think that could be a good entry point. Awesome. Thank you. So I want to ask one more question, but just for time's sake, I want to make it a priority to let everyone know. I, I know you talk about doinnerwork.com. You have the Man Amongst Men podcast. Um, how else... Could they reach you or if they have questions for you? Yeah, cool. Um, so my Instagram account is at Dominic Q. So D-O-M-I-N-I-C-K-Q. At doinnerwork.com, we, we have a, a contact, uh, a reach out form. Um, those would probably be the best ways to, to get in touch with me. Okay. And I did, I interviewed Brian a, last, a month or so ago. So uh there's people sent that way too, which is awesome. I love what you guys are doing. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Sean. So the last one, it's a little bit of a deep question, but I want to word it to maybe just so we don't have to dive very deep. And it's about sex and, and trauma and people in relationship, because everybody knows that women, uh, we go through sexual trauma. It's like a thing that everybody talks about now, but we don't speak about how that affects our men. And I'm wondering if there's a man in a relationship with a woman who has experienced trauma, they sort of 
don't let that full freak out, right? They don't fully get intimate. They don't fully connect in the bedroom because they're scared of, of, of how the woman's feeling. And I'm wondering if you had to name a, a question or a conversation or one thing that a man could do to really create safety in this area so they could really like connect and get, get very, very intimate, what that would be. Yeah, uh, that's a beautiful question. For the man who's in that situation, who sees that his partner is holding back because she feels unsafe, the, the number one thing you could do is to, is to hold that space and to welcome whatever she is showing you or not showing you. And, and this is counseled directly from my mentor. His name is John Wineland. Check his stuff out online. He's, he's brilliant around this. He says the masculine's, the, 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 the masculine's responsibility is to ravish whatever she is showing. And the feminine's responsibility is to reveal, to constantly reveal more. And, and the man's responsibility is to ravish whatever's there. So if, if she's holding back and she's timid, then the way that you, you, you welcome more of that is to say, baby, I love how, how, how timid you may be right now. Like, I, I love how, how, how afraid you actually feel because like, I can actually feel the reality of that. Like, I can, I can feel how much you must be hurting. And that's beautiful that you're sharing that with me. Meaning, whatever she's showing you, it's great. Most guys... And this is what I, me included for a long period of time in my life. I want to fix that. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that makes her feel deeply unsafe is fixing that. And what she just wants to feel presumably, and based on what I've experienced in my life and also based on what John has taught is that if I can just welcome whatever she is showing and saying, thank you, she doesn't feel like I have an agenda. She feels supported. And when that's okay to show, that she's not ready to show everything. The next time she may show me more and, and then more and then more and then more. And I just keep ravishing and holding and ravishing. It's beautiful what you're showing me. It's beautiful that you keep showing up, you know? And that I found in my personal experience and from all the coaching that I've received from John, uh, that alchemizes a lot of pain. Thank you. That was a little unexpected than what I expected. So that was beautiful. I appreciate it. Okay. So we can end a couple of minutes early. I, I'd like to, I normally finish off on where to reach you. So how about who would be the perfect men who you could serve that be like, yeah, my website, that's my website is for you right here. Cool. Uh, thank you for that question. Um, the perfect man the, the, uh, the, the men that we speak to are high-performing men who have achieved a certain level of success in their life and are starting to question the way that they've constructed their life. They're starting to feel restless. They're starting to maybe feel bored or even trapped, and they're looking for a better way. Those are the, those are the people who we take on retreats and that we do masterminds with. For men who haven't achieved that level of success yet, like maybe you're still after it, uh, there's a ton of resources on dowinnerwork.com for you. Like the podcast is there, the book lists are there, like get yourself on that path. And by the way, lay the foundation of inner work before you go out and get your success. It's a lot easier that way because you can build a a pretty big 
temple of success on top of that without having to gut it like a lot of us have had to do. So get started early. Perfect. Do you guys do private coaching? I don't recall. Um, I, I've, I, I've done a little bit of like high intensity one-on-one coaching, like, like super intense, which I'm just wrapping up right now. So for where we're moving in the future are more retreats and mm. group workshops. And we're going to be announcing more of that. We have a, a link for retreats on our website on dowonderwork.com that people can sign up for that list and see when we, when we announce. And men, the ladies love when you do their, like it, there's nothing more sexy than a man doing inner work. There's just nothing more sexy than a man doing inner work. So please reach out um, if you feel called. Dominic, thank you for this. Shauna, thank you. Uh, there's some great questions and got, we went down some really, really exciting paths. Yes. I, uh, I hope you have a good rest of your day and we'll be talking soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Goldmine Podcast. I ask that you share this out with anyone who might get value from this episode. And if you're looking for ways to support, please subscribe and review. And if you are not on the social media game yet, get on it. I am the only Shauna Sudik on Facebook and on Instagram. My handle is Shauna.Kathleen. And I can't wait until next time.